Well, this morning we're jumping into the, uh, the book of James. If you're joining with us for the first time today, um, we are really coming towards the end of this series. And uh, James is this book is, is a reminder, is a refresher. James is this book that's really practical. It's like salt of the earth, uh, easy to grasp onto truth for our lives. And, um, you know, I, make, I find it no mistake that James was the brother of Jesus, right? He took all the things that Christ taught him and just sanctified it into, into this, this book. And we've learned so many good things about our lives. This morning, we're going to find one that's a little bit challenging to, to chew on, as has been the case with a lot in James' gospel. But I do know that it will be edifying for us. And we're going to read through uh, a little bit more than a chapter uh, so buckle up. I promise I'm going to walk you through. We're going to find a thread that goes all the way through this chapter. And I think it'll be good for, uh, for the edification of the church. But let's hear now the, the word of the Lord, starting at chapter 4. We'll have it up on the screens as well. James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever does the right thing to do, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. 
You know, side note, in the, in the Psalms, you'll occasionally find the word Selah, which means we should just sit and ponder that. That's what that word means. And I, I feel like after reading that chapter, it's kind of a Selah moment, right? Just, man, we should sit and ponder. That is tough meat to chew on. When I was uh, first beginning in ministry, I went to see a basketball game for one of our students in the church many, many years ago. And word on the street was this kid was good. Um, I hadn't seen him play before, but everyone that I talked to said he was college material. He could even go pro. And if I remember right, I think it was the regional championship game that I had walked into. And there was this packed gym. You could, you could feel the excitement. And I found his parents. I went and sat down next to his dad. And from the very beginning, this game was intense. It was the kind of game where the, the points just volleyed back and forth and back and forth the whole game. But about three quarters of the way into this thing, our, our team started losing the momentum. They were missing baskets that they should have made. They were making fouls that made no sense. And, and you could feel the frustration was beginning to build, particularly with the parents sitting next to me. And just as sort of this, this tinder box had gotten primed, the, the players had ran for this jump ball up in the air and one of the opponents grabbed the ball and on his way down, he elbowed one of the star players on our team. And the gym exploded. Parents were shouting profanities at the refs. One of the officials turned and to the stands and motioned for the, the people to calm down. The student section began chanting things you wouldn't repeat from the pulpit. But what shocked me the most was the leader of the entire verbal melee was the father of this student who I had come to see. He was out shouting everyone around him, just red in the face, angry, spit flying overhead. He was screaming things to the refs like, you can go to the mountains. Except for he didn't say mountains. And even after the crowd had settled back in, uh, this dad was so wound up, his wife was pulling on the tail of his shirt to get him to sit back down. You ever seen something like that? Too many of us have. My brother used to referee for Little League and he lasted two weeks. This week I learned, uh, actually statistically, 85% of first-time officials never come back to the game after their first go. They're scared off by the fans and the parents. And if you know anything about sports, you know that sports are really just a lesson for life, right? And so as I got in the car that night, I thought to myself, what is the lesson here? Let me ask you, what do you think the lesson is? See, in our scripture this morning, James is dealing with this, this kind of a toxic environment, except for this time, here's the crazy part. It's not the courts. It's not courtside. It's the church. Look at how James steps into this. Look at this in verse one. He says, these conflicts and disputes among you, tell me, where do they come from? This quarreling and this, this fighting, this divisive tone, what, what is the root cause? And make no mistake, James is not talking at this point in the letter about healthy conflict. This is something far more toxic and entrenched. And James says these conflicts, these disputes among you, they're not what they seem. You've, you've gotten caught up. There's, there's a lesson, a, a greater lesson to be learned here. Just think about the last time you waded through that kind of a situation and ask this question with me. What, what was the root cause? Deep down beneath the surface, if you could cut through all the arguing and the, the fighting, where did it come from? Maybe it was with your, your spouse, or your kids, your family, your coworkers. Look at how James lays this out in verse one. He says, is it not this, 
Is it not that these passions are at war within you? That word passions, it means great desire or, or strong urge. He's saying there is something deep down that has taken root within the, the soul of this church and it's now being revealed in their actions. And James says what, what this melee reveals is there is a worldly passion that is now warring within you. Look at how he unpacks this. Look at this in verse three. He says, you desire to be on top, but you don't have it. So you'll do whatever you can to get there and you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain. You ask and you don't receive and you, so you quarrel and you fight. Look at this. He goes on in verse three. He says, even when you do ask, you ask with the wrong heart. James says, you're so caught up in your own desires and your own selfish ways and the things of this world caught in the moment that you forgot who it is that you're living for. And it's almost as if in this moment, James is like the referee blowing the whistle on this basketball brawl. And he says, do you not realize all of this fighting, all this quarreling, it actually reveals something deep inside. And he says, the root of the entire problem is that you lost your first love. Except for he's not quite as PC as I am. In verse four, he says, you adulterous people. You adulterous people, do you not realize that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, James is pretty bold, but I think we've gotten to probably the most bold statement in the entire letter. All this quarreling, all this fighting, right? It, he says it stems from the fact that you've been having an affair in your faith. You have chosen a different God to chase in your life and you become now an adulterous people. Up to this point in James, um, the church has been referenced many times before, nine times over. And every time that it's referenced, it's referenced as brothers and sisters or dearly beloved, endearing terms. But this is a bit jolting. I mean, it's almost as if the crowd is out of control and James decides if he's gonna get the attention of the gymnasium, he needs to say something loud and, and daring. So he, he grabs the mic and he says, listen, the reason you fight, the reason for these quarrels among you is you have committed nothing less than adultery against the Lord. That's a bold statement. The worldly desires are within you, do you not see? You know, we typically think of that world adultery in terms of marriage, right? And keeping a faithful covenant with our, our loved one. But for James, if the church is the bride of the Christ, right? Then the quarreling is really about our fidelity to him. And here's what I wanna show us this morning. Here, here's my claim. How about this? In every relationship that we have, when we find quarreling and fighting that's gotten out of control in our midst, when we find a toxic storm brewing, it's caused every time by a worldly self-focused passion within us. It's caused by a quarreling, a, a war of passions that's already started within us. And that fleshly passion, James says, is doing far more damage than what you see. It's not just doing damage to the relationships that you see in front of you, it's doing damage to the one you don't see. He says, you've, you've left your first love. And now that James has the assembly's ear, he, he wants his readers to understand three things as he begins to unbox this for us. We're gonna frame our time with these three this morning and it looks like this. First, he says, our God is a jealous God. 
Now that word comes with a ton of baggage and meaning, so we're gonna unpack that. I wanna show you how that's actually a good thing. Second, he says, if that's true, then to befriend the world is to be hostile to the Lord. We're gonna explain what that is. And then third, he says, if those are true, then as the bride, as the church, we should set our worldly desires aside and submit again to him. So let's look at this first one. Our God is a jealous God. Look at this in verse five. James, James loves rhetorical questions, right? He's already asked a couple. Here comes a third. He says, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Now that's really wordy. Don't let me lose you. Let me just shorten that up again. What he's really saying is, do you realize that God is jealous over you? If as a believer, he's given you the Holy Spirit, then as the father, he's mightily concerned with not only what the, the spirit is doing himself inside of you, but also within the, the person in whom the spirit dwells. And as such, our God is a jealous God. You know, when we hear that word, we, we often think of jealousy with like all the human sin attached to it, right? We think of coveting. Your neighbor gets a new car and you're jealous, your coworker gets a bonus and you're jealous. I caught a bigger fish than you. You're catching <laughs> and I'm lying. I deserve that heckle. Look at this in Webster's dictionary. Look at this. It says like this. It says jealousy is a hostile attitude towards a, a rival or one believed to enjoy an advantage. See, but this is not God's jealousy. Right? God's jealousy is a, a perfect jealousy. It's far from an emotion. Look at this in Exodus 34, 14. Moses says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. This isn't just an attribute of God. This is a name for God. This is a jealousy that is wrapped up in, in God's holiness and, and love for his people. That word in Hebrew, it, it means zeal or fervor. He is zealous over us. His holiness is, it causes him to be zealous in his pursuit of us. Our God is not some careless clockmaker God that just winds up creation in the church and then just watches it unravel. No, no, no. We, we worship a God who is intimately involved in his church. So much so that he sends his one and only son to die for his people. And this all began in the Old Testament, right? God makes a covenant with Abraham, then he makes a covenant with Israel. And as such, he enters into a covenantal relationship, much like a marriage. You might remember the words, I will be their God and they will be my people. And yet time and time again, the only party who kept that promise was God. You know, the history of God's people is riddled with adulterous behavior. Look at this from the prophet Isaiah in 54. He spells this out. He says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The, the God of the whole earth he is called. But here's what happens. Look at this in Jeremiah 3.20. He says, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you Israel have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. You've chased idols. You've went on your own path. The, the desires are at war within you. And see, for James, that the church has the same issue. There's this rut of quarreling among the brethren that, that has become a symptom that someone has taken another God apart from the Lord and the passions of the world have now played out in their heart. And James wants us to understand wherever you find quarreling, you cannot serve two masters. 
Because God is jealous over his bride. Which leads me to my, my next point, and that is that to befriend the world is enmity, it's hostility to him. Look at this in verse four. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now we should be careful here. James is not saying that to become friends with those in the world is a problem. He's saying that it's wrong to adopt the ways of the world. Look at this in 1 John, I think it clarifies. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father cannot be in them. For everyone, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, and it's clear by now this community of faith, they, they become torn up by these passions, these worldly desires among the flock. And the pride is killing the mission of the church. On the one hand, this is really simple, right? To love the things of this world is to immediately find yourself at odds with God. We get that. And yet James takes it one step further, as James often does, just to get it right in our heads. He says to engage in that, to allow your pride to take over, is to find yourself an enmity, an enemy of the Lord. That's tough. You know, picture a man and a wife, they're walking down the street, and someone begins to pick at his bride. It starts with name calling and then moves to all out harassment. And maybe as they get a little closer to you, you even feel a little threatened. What does the husband consider the antagonist in that moment? A friend or a foe? Say it with me, a friend or a foe? Which one? A foe, an enemy. Right, Because that someone is tearing down the bride. And James says this kind of quarreling, when you find it among you in your families, in your relationships, and even so in the church, it's immediately opposed to the things of God because it's opposed to the health of the bride. Margaret Hefferman gave a TED Talk years ago about the study at Purdue University on chicken production of all things. And the question that they looked at was, how do we increase productivity from generation to generation in chicken farming? They wanted to know, how do you get the most eggs out of the chickens to feed more people and make faster income? So for this experiment, they took two flocks. The first flock they gathered up was all of average producing chickens, and they let them breed for six generations and then tested their output. And the second flock was high producers. They took chickens that were at the top of their egg game and they, they put them together in this special flock to see if they could breed into like super chickens. And then they waited six generations. And the outcome is crazy. The first group, the average group had actually done quite well. They, they had increased their egg production. All the birds were healthy and good to go. But the second group, the elite group was a train wreck. Six generations, only three chickens remained. They had pecked each other to death. And James writes, you, you cannot live for the, the passions of the world with pride and greed and arrogance and selfish wants without dire consequences to the relationships in your life. And see, God yearns jealously, we're told, over the spirit that dwells in each of us. It, it's a love for us, right? A pursuit of us that's, that's unparalleled. And he longs to see the righteousness and purity of his people. And therefore, to make friends with the ways of the world 
is to be, find yourself in hostility with God. Because every time that pride devastates his flock. So then this leads me to our final point, and that is this. James says that the solution then to the, the courtside melee in your life is to give your worldly desires back to the Lord and submit yourselves again to him. The next time you find yourself swept up in a, a toxic rut of, of relational issues, James says there's, there's four ways that you can submit to the Lord and do this really well. Let me walk through those briefly with you. The first is this, verse eight. He says, submitting to God looks like drawing near to the Lord. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. You might remember the story of the prodigal son. Two boys, one stays at home, the other one asks for his inheritance early. And he goes off on this binge, right? The, the gospel of Luke says it was a, a, a worldly living kind of binge. And this binge leads him to hit rock bottom. By the end, he's eating slop with the pigs and he realizes what he's done. And look at this in verse 17. Look how this plays out in Luke 15, 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have no food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, right? He drew near to his father. Now watch what happens next. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion with him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. See, I think so often in our lives, we, we fight against that. We, we wanna go our own way. We wanna see our own plans accomplished. We get into our own stubborn ruts and conflict. But God's word says, the only way to find God drawing near to you is for you to draw near to him. Second, and now James continues with this thought, he said, submitting ourselves to the Lord also means cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts. Cleansing our hands and purifying our hearts in verse eight. In other words, it would be that we, we need to refocus two aspects in our lives, right? First, our externals need to be realigned. But in order for the externals to be realigned, our hands, our internals need to be realigned, our hearts. So how do you realign your heart? How do, how do you begin to find your heart back in realignment with who God is? Acts 15 verse nine says, God cleanses our hearts by faith, by drawing near to him, by putting our trust in him. So James now takes it one step further and he says, third, submitting to the Lord looks like mourning and weeping. And now things get heavy, right? No one comes to church on a Sunday morning and thinks, I wanna leave today feeling like I've been to a funeral service. But anybody remember Bozo the Clown? Anybody remember that guy? Edwin Cooper was originally made famous with Barnum Bailey's uh, circus. He got the name Bozo in the 1950s with his TV specials. And Bozo's main tagline, his entire career, every single episode that he did, was to get checked early and often for cancer. So much so that you could say the name Bozo, and particularly to the older generations, they would, they would remember those taglines that he spoke. But Bozo himself was so busy, he never followed his own advice. At the early age of 41, Bozo died of late-stage cancer a cancer that could have been prevented by early and often checkups. See, and much like that cancer, what James is trying to get at here is that we don't take our sin seriously enough. 
We should be weeping over it. We, we, we should be mourning it. And yet we often casually pass it off. There is this worldly way in us, right, that comes to destroy. There's this pride and covetedness that comes to devastate. We know this because it costs Jesus everything. And yet we go about our lives entrenched in these fleshly desires as though it's not a big deal. And we quarrel and we fight because we're so caught up in our own motives, we forget to check the cancer within. James says, you adulterous people, do you not see how you are destroying not only the bride, but your relationship with the father? It's a challenging word, I think. And James says it all boils down to this. The fourth part of submitting your life to him is to humble yourself before the Lord. Let me spell this out. If you have been in a quarrelsome season with your, your spouse, with your children, with a loved one, with, with someone in the church, with friends, James teaches us the, the basic principle of the faith. He says, humble yourselves again before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jeff Blessum, who many of you know is a faithful leader within our church, leads a, our Saturday morning Bible study with, uh, with Bo Friend. Um, he served as a referee for many years. And just last Saturday, uh, last week, he shared with our, our men's Bible study that when an individual got too caught up in the game and started screaming and yelling at him, swearing at him, he would reach into his pocket, walk across the store, court, and in front of everyone, he would give him a lollipop. He said it couldn't be a dum-dum, that would be offensive. So he made sure he invested in the Tootsie Rolls. And in this move, right, he, he found that there was a, a moment, both of his apology, right, but also of humility of that person to realize this is, this is really just a game, right? You know, 99% of the time when he made that reconciliatory step, he said all but one man backed down. Humility is the antidote of fighting and quarreling, isn't it? Proverbs 15 tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. See, and so here's the reality. Whatever it is that you're caught up in, whatever stubbornness that you've been walking through, James says, you've missed the point. Look at this in verse 14. He says, do you realize your life is but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Do you realize that the only way we live and we move and we have our being is because God willed it to begin with? This life is but a vapor. It's a breath of warm air on a cold morning and then it's gone. Which means we either choose to live our lives with an eternal perspective or we end up fighting selfishly, pursuing the things that we can't grab onto anyway. What causes these fights and quarrels among you? James says it's, it's, it's that your true north, your, your compass has been disoriented. There is a war of passions and desire within you. But if we draw near to God, he has promised us he will draw near to us. And here's why. Our God is a jealous God, right? In his love for us, he pursues his bride every day. Make no mistakes. To befriend the world then is to be, become an enemy of the Lord. And so our charge as a bride is to return back to our first love. Let me pray for us and ask God to use that in our lives this week. Pray with me. God, you have proven your faithfulness time and time again, Lord, from generation to generation. You have been our God. And though we have been called your people, Lord, we often go astray like sheep. We wander. 
We chase idols and shiny objects. Lord, we get caught up in, in thinking the temporary things of this world are eternal when, Lord, what we should be focused on is eternity and realizing that everything else will fade away. So God, we pray this week as we step into a world of, of chaos and disorder and dissension that is so conflict-prone and hatred-filled, Lord, would you keep our eyes on you? God, would you give us that eternal perspective that, to remember that our lives are but a vapor and to get caught up in it is to waste our time. Lord, make us a people who pursue you just as you have pursued us. We thank you for proving that in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.